So, you know, thinking that uh, losing your life to gain your life, thinking about that scripture, you know, I could see how somebody could really struggle with something like that. Right? Can you see that? I mean, just think about it for a second. If you're just, you don't know all the stuff you know right now about the great things that happen when you live for God. And just put yourself in the position or the place of someone that's, that's hearing about, okay, making this life change or, you know, becoming someone that's a quote-unquote Christian, right? They don't understand, like, as, as, a, as a Christian, you understand that word means follower of Christ. So we're following a person not a religion, not a set of rules, not a set of, you know, theology here. I mean, we have our theology, but we're, as a Christian, we're following a living person named Jesus Christ, and we understand that, but think about that from the world's point of view. Wait a minute, Jesus lived 2,000 years ago, but he's still alive, he's living in your heart, you're following him, you're not following rules. It's, it's difficult to grasp, right? So our objective is to really live a life that demonstrates the truth of what these things mean and, and, and being manifest out or played out before those that are around us so that they can begin to sort of be face-to-face or confronted with, not necessarily because we're in their face about it, but the, the things that maybe they have that are false perceptions or distorted views of what it means to really live a life for God and for Christ. You know, you think about someone hearing that saying, you're going to lose your life in order to gain it. You know, think about some of the things that probably go through people's mind. Well, I guess I can never be, uh, I guess I can never have money. I guess I can never be happy. No more float trips, you know. I can never drink a beer again. I mean, come on. These are things that people probably start to think ahead of time before they, want, before they actually choose to make a decision to say, sort, sort of like sign up for that, you know. And it's so good and helpful for us to just think about and ponder these things as far as, you know, what are, what are the things that, peop, that go through people's minds and their hearts that really stand between them and a life with and for Christ, right? And sometimes, let's just be honest, even in the church, there's a lot of situations where people are holding back from really fully surrendering and fully giving their life to Christ because they even have false conceptions of what that's going to mean if they do it, right? I mean, we know that as we begin to embrace this Christian life and Christ leads us, that that is going to mean we give up things, that we lay down things. There's going to be changes. We know we're going to endure suffering for his name's sake. But, but, but the end of that story, the other side of that picture that isn't necessarily visible beforehand that we can demonstrate in our lives is that when we do begin to walk out that life for Christ, that, that it's anything but miserable or unhappy or frustrating and discontent. That actually, the, one of the beautiful realities of our faith is that when we do give up our lives in the sense that we let go of things that we hold on to tightly to or that we build our lives around and we replace that with Jesus Christ being the center of our lives. When we do that, the beautiful reality of our faith is that we actually become happier and more satisfied and driven with more purpose and destiny and contentment than we could ever have 
otherwise, right? That the reality is, is that the things of this world, they're all temporary and, and the Bible describes it in many cases as vaporous or just they're just they're there and then they're gone, right? The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 40, uh, verse 8, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. So all the things that we feel possibly, that people feel could bring them joy and happiness and satisfaction. The reality is, is that they're, they're only a vaporous thing and they never can fully satisfy the soul. They can never full. it's almost like you're chasing a rainbow, right? You think you're gonna walk over the hill and then there's the pot of gold, there's the end of the rainbow, only to find out it just moved further away and all you're gonna do if you keep trying to catch it is walking forever, never actually attaining that. And so really building a life of, of around things that we think are going to be, bring pleasure and bring happiness and satisfaction, it's just like a mirage. It's like chasing a rainbow. It's just you're going to fill up to a certain extent of your life, and then about the time you think you're getting somewhere, you think it's starting to bring pleasure or happiness, the vapor's already starting to fade away, and now you're trying to reach out again and bring it back or, or put new things in place. So it's this... It's this false conception that somehow the world, uh, all the pleasures that we see in the world would bring us happiness and satisfaction when in reality there's only one way we can do that. And Jesus says it's to lose our life in order to gain it. So what, is that, what does that really mean, right? To lose our life in order to gain it. Well, I, I submit to you that basically it's, it's putting Christ, Jesus Christ, at the center of your life at the very center of everything that the rest of your life revolves around. Now, we can be a believer of Jesus Christ and accept Him as our Lord and Savior, right? But at the same time, He can kind of be on the peripheral out here and not necessarily in the center of our lives. There can be other things driving it and, and our, our uh, seeking to obtain pleasure or purpose or happiness from other things and then Jesus is sort of like fitting in when it's convenient which obviously if we believe in Christ we, we, we know here that we're going to be with him in heaven but at the same time if he's not at the center of our lives then he's not actually driving our lives and he's not the one that we're basing all of our decisions and, and the way we live it's not flowing out of this this truth that God knows what's best for me and he's going to provide that for me right so losing your life means to committing to pursuing what God is instructing us to do or what he wants for us, even when there's a conflict with other choices. Turn with me uh, to Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 14. Jesus says, he says here, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. I've studied on this for a lot of different, in a lot of different times, and one of the things that I feel I get out of this is when you think about it, Living for Christ and following Christ means that there's really only one path in any type of 
intersection or any place that you come to. And it's just going the direction that God wants you to go, right? Choosing to follow Jesus, choosing to do the things that he commands us to do. So that's why it's narrow. It's not because it's, it's so hard or difficult. It's because it's, it's just one thing, and that's the, the path that Jesus lays out before us. But wide is the gate that leads to destruction because there are an endless amount of variety and things that we can entertain or choose to uh, you know, consider to follow when it comes to anything but what Jesus would want us to do. In the sense that there's a lot of things that we may think would bring pleasure or bring happiness or things that would uh, you know, be good for us to do, but it's not necessarily lining up with what we know in our heart Jesus is calling us to do or has commanded us to do. So the idea is that Jesus is wanting to be at the center of our lives. He's wanting to be at the middle to where everything that we do just really revolves around him. And what that'll cause us to do is it, it causes us to sort of let go of anything else that we may be holding on to or building our lives around or trying to sort of uh, allow to motivate us or drive us or influence us in the decisions that we would make as we move forward. And so he becomes the center of our lives. And really, that's the way it's always been. If you look back through Scripture, right, in the, all the way from the beginning of creation, the Old Testament on, everything was leading to Jesus. Everything was leading up to the coming of a Messiah that would, re, that would satisfy the, the needs for redemption between us and God. And ever since Jesus did the redemptive work on the cross, everything since then has sort of looked back to that, has sort of looked back and recalled or is in reflection of what happened there. So Jesus has kind of always been at the center of everything. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 12 that he's the author and the finisher of our faith. So I would just say to you, if he's the author and the finisher, such is everything else in between, right? He should be at the center of our lives in the sense that we are abandoning any uh, effort or attempts to sort of hold on to or cling to anything else that we might try to put at the center to drive our decisions or drive our behaviors. Well, you say, well, what would that be? Well, it could be a lot of things. You know, it could be the search for money, right? It could be the desire to be rich. So this is why you can look at two people that are wealthy and one person is actually living for Christ and following the path that God has for them. And so and being wealthy is just the way that God is blessing them, right? Another person that's wealthy and that's the center of their life. They're trying to obtain riches and they've managed to get wealth, but somehow they're way off course of the path that God would have them to go. So we can deduct from that that it's not necessarily being wealthy that makes us, uh, we, keep, we say, well, in order to lose your life, that means you can never be wealthy. Well, that's not the case. What it means is that God is the center of everything, and then we choose the life he has for us, and then what he chooses to bless us with and make us happy with and give us a place of influence in the way he's called us to do is his will. And so then what comes of that ultimately is what he chooses and not what we choose. Does that make sense? It's kind of like the difference of, you know, in the Old Testament. Let me throw this at you. Israel wanted a king, right? They wanted a king. 
And so they started praying to God, give us a king to rule over us, to lead us. We want to put a king in charge because we think they felt that that would make them happy, that that would be the answer, that that would lead them down the right direction. And God pleaded back with them and said, no, it's not good for you to have a king. I want to be your king. That's where, why he had judges that were just ruling over the land and you know people that were speaking the words of God like prophetic voices. But God didn't want to put a king over them. What did he say? He said that if I give you a king, you're going to regret it. It's, he's going to tax you. He's going to enslave your sons and daughters. It's, going to, it's not going to be good for you. But what the people still chose to do is plead for a king. And finally, God just said, okay, I'll give you a king. So he appointed Saul. Saul was the first king in the Old Testament. And we know that from then on out, even though there were some good kings that came along, there were many bad kings. But overall, this idea of having a king over the nation proved to be very unhealthy and, and very destructive for the nation as a whole overall in terms of how they were able to follow and, and see God lead them in their destiny. And so God will allow us he will allow us if we choose to because he's given us free will to put other things at the center of our lives instead of him and build our lives around those things. He will allow that to happen. And so what we've got to do is we've got to understand that, okay, it's up to us, it's up to me to really seek God and to really, you know, have that heart that I can say no matter what, what my ultimate objective is, is I want Jesus to be in charge of my life. I want His will to come to pass and not necessarily my own. And then we begin to see as we walk that out that all this misconception or false perception that maybe we even once had, certainly many others have, that somehow living a life for God is miserable and unhappy and it means you just give everything up and you forfeit happiness and all that, couldn't be further from the truth. We start to come face to face with the supernatural reality of the fact that there is no greater happiness than when we walk with God and that we live a life for Him. We begin to see the truth of Psalm 1611. Right, we can put that up there. That says that uh, says that you show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. In that sense of joy that that the psalmist is talking about here is a wholeness and a fullness and an entirety that we cannot possibly understand unless we're experiencing it from being in the presence of God or walking with God. Saying that any other kind of joy or happiness that we may think we're experiencing in life apart from Him being at the center of everything is really just less than full. It's vaporous. It's not true, fulfilled joy like we can experience if we're living a life for Christ and with Him. Amen? You know, I've been in positions before, and maybe some of you have too, where you're kind of more of like a consultant with a, a company or a project or something like that where you're not really the final decision maker. At the end of the day, it's not up to you to really call the shots, but you have an opportunity to have influence in the equation. So whatever your opinion is, whatever your advice is, whatever con contribution you may be making, it affects things. But at the end of the day, you're just a consultant. You're not the CEO. Now, the CEO of 
the project or the home or the, or the job or whatever, he has a totally different situation. They listen to the consultant. They weigh out things, but they have to make the final decisions at the end of the day. It's up to them to call the shots, and the benefits or the consequences that flow out of that are going to rest on the shoulders of that CEO, right? So this is my question I would throw at you. Is Jesus just a consultant in your life, or is he the CEO of your life, right? Is he, is he kind of just weighing in whenever you need him to? Are you sort of just kind of turning to the peripheral where you've got him in your life, and, and whenever it's convenient or when you're really desperate, you're trying to, you know, apply his power or, or his truth to the situation? Or is he really the CEO? And he's at the center of everything. And everything that happens in your life from a day-to-day basis, you're, you're acting it out. You're moving forward through this place or this position of your spirit that says it's all about what Jesus wants. It's all about living the life that Christ has for me. And then we start to see as we do that, guess what? You still get to go on float trips, you know? You still get to be unbelievably happy, but God is transforming you from the inside out. And it's not about any of this stuff outside. It's about the position that he is shaping you into inside. And then how you act and how you, you know, uh, do those things, all of a sudden is what starts to really change. And now we start to be more used by him and we start to see the things that are happening flowing out of us are more of a testament to his glory and how good he is. Because anything that we do, this is a tough thing to think about, but anything that we do that's not driven by the fact that we want it, we're living for Christ, really, in a way, is purposeless. Now that's a hard thing to think about, but Jesus Christ is the one who adds the purpose, right? The, the eternal purpose behind everything that we do. And so if we're living our lives that's just driven by Christ being at the center and, and, and everything that we're living on a day-to-day basis is he's, he's there at the center of our lives and he's what's driving our decisions, then we're going to live a life continuously filled and full of purpose and power and just moving forward to the destiny and the things that he has for us. It's a beautiful reality that we, would never, we are never more happy and more fulfilled than when we actually lay our lives down and live for him. Following Christ compels us uh, to lay things down, and there will be suffering for his name's sake. But what we start to see is that things as we do that, we, we begin to be, we're glad to do the things that God wants us to do, and they begin to improve our life and make the situation and the things we're going through even more glorious and more happy and more joyful because we're doing it uh, in, in a, as we walk along with him. Amen. Because God's ultimate plan is to transform us into his likeness. He's got a specific agenda when he receives one of his children back to him because they've accepted Christ. And his agenda is to transform us more and more into his son Jesus before we go to be with him in eternity. In Genesis chapter 1... God said, let us make man in our image according to his likeness. Now, notice there, our is capitalized. You realize he's talking about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit of the Trinity of the Godhead. He's saying, let us make man in the image of God. 
right? And then the fall happened in the garden, and so sin abounds in the world now, and then we become reconciled to God when we receive Jesus Christ. And then look what happens along the way before we go to heaven. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 through 18, I like the message version of this talking about being transformed into his likeness, it says, whenever though they turn to face God as Moses did, God removes the veil and they're face to face. Then suddenly they recognize that God is a living personal presence, not a piece of chiseled stone. And when God is personally present, a living spirit, that old constricting legislation is recognized as obsolete. We are free of it. And all of us, Nothing between us and God, our faces shining with the brightness of his face, and so we are transfigured much like the Messiah, our lives gradually becoming brighter and more beautiful as God enters our lives and we become like him. So God is about the business of transforming us more and more into the likeness of Christ through all parts of us, our character, our heart, our behaviors, all of those things, right? And so that transformation process that's happening along the way, it occurs only as a result of a spirit yielded to that, to saying Jesus is at the center of my life and everything that he wants to do, I'm submitted to. And so it's kind of like whatever things we, f we know and God begins to show us, we're holding on to for ourselves. We're kind of trying to put that thing more at the center of our lives. It's, it's, it's letting go of that and letting Jesus sort of take hold of it and then taking that open hand that we now have and grabbing onto his hand and letting him lead us, knowing that whatever it is that he has for me, I want him to have control of it and I wanna follow him in the direction he chooses to lead me through that thing, knowing that along the way, I'm becoming more and more of the person that he's created me to be. So does, I mean, think about, does, does the God that created us, he died for us, and he wants to spend eternity with us. Like God wants to spend eternity with us in heaven. I would say for those, all of those reasons, created me, he died for me, he wants me to spend eternity with him. I trust that he knows what's best for me. I trust that even if in the natural on the outside, it looks like there's things that I'm giving up or I'm laying down that for a temporary time seem uncomfortable or difficult for me, that I know on the other side of this act of obedience, of laying them down, of following him, that what's going to happen that's going to occur for, from that is going to bring me to greater places of happiness and purpose than I could ever get to if I was trying to navigate this course on my own. Amen? Amen. And, and really, nothing else can, can fill that place in our lives and sustain it. Being at the center, being the driving you know, force behind everything that we're doing. And eventually, all those things that are uh, temporary are going to show themselves out for what they are. It's just a matter of time before they start to break down, before they start to fizzle, before they start to uh, we recognize them for the vapor that they are because there's nothing else but Jesus that's consistent and solid and stays true through everything that we will ever go through. He's the only one that could ever occupy the center of our lives 
and allow us to actually become greater and greater as we move forward. He doesn't, he doesn't deteriorate. He doesn't shrink down. He just becomes more and more prominent and a part of our lives. And we start to see his power and his, all the things that he has chosen to bless us with become more and more of a reality in our lives. Amen? Amen. So let me just kind of wrap up with these thoughts, recapping what I've talked about, is, look, it's, it is true, right, that we have to lay our, our lives down, that Jesus tells us we lose our lives in order to gain it. That is, it is true. But it's, it's a saying that we really recognize more and more the beauty of as we walk it out. Right? We start to see more and more and understand more and more what that means and how actually it leads us to a place of greater happiness and greater fulfillment and greater joy than if we choose to not do that and we try to uh, put other things at the center of our lives as opposed to Him. And it is true that we'll endure suffering for His name's sake at times as we live our lives. But it's not true that laying our lives down is going to somehow make us unhappy or miserable or frustrated or mean that we never get to experience the joy and the pleasure and the things that life brings that we maybe once thought we were experiencing. It's quite the opposite. It's quite the contrary. It's actually going to result in a life of greater happiness, greater joy, greater fulfillment than anything without that course of action could bring us or could create for us, right? And, 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 and I understand how people could miss, have you know, false perceptions about things like that. I guess really, to be honest with you, that's what I'm wanting to, to say the most today, is let's, let's understand that there are people out there that have false perceptions, that have wrong views of what a life for God is and, and what it means to follow Christ. And that's okay. I mean, they've got to those places because of things that have occurred or happened in their lives. And, and the good news is, is that we have an opportunity to live a life that's contrary to the false perceptions that they're living by and then demonstrate the beauty that a life for Christ actually brings to where it's so compelling and so inviting that it causes people to stop and think. Something like, wow, yeah, I thought I had to be really unhappy, but, but that's the happiest guy I know, and he loves Jesus. Something's not lining up here, right? That's the reality of the gospel. That's the reality of a life that's being lived for Christ, is it, it can be countercultural, yet totally attractional all at the same time. And I love that about God, that he gives us the opportunity to, as we share, we live the life that's, that's being motivated by living for him, him being at the center of it all, and then it's, it's holding true according to the truth of Scripture. And then we can share that or we can exemplify that. And it can break down uh, false perceptions or wrong worldviews. And at the same time, reconstruct a new view and a new understanding for people that's rooted and based upon the foundation of the rock of Jesus Christ and of the truth that gives them. It's, it's the answers that satisfy the soul are rooted right there in his word. Amen.